Uh, we're going to be starting a new series. We are going to be in the book of Philippians. And the series is titled The Secrets of Joy. Um, but something I just wanted to point out to you, it's really, I think it's awesome how the Lord plans things. I am, I am not always privy to what the Lord is going to do in the future, but I think that this particular book and this series falls at the perfect time coming after some of the, the heavy conviction that we have felt from the book of Jonah and from Joshua. So we were kind of switching gears. I was talking to my wife last night. She's like, how did it go? I was like, it's so weird to just be all encouraging the whole time. Um, but you can tell we're in a new series because my shirt is now matching <laughs> the graphics. <laughs> so not I don't have a conviction plaid on. I have Calvary camouflage tropical, as somebody said, flower power. So we're encouraging everybody today. Um, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to go through the first 11 verses. And we're going to be talking, um, the title of the series today is called, or the title of the sermon today is Our Family Business. Our Family Business. The full title is The Joys of Our Family Business, if you like to write that much. But really, it's just to remind us um, of what we are doing here. is isn't just what, what God has asked, it's who we are. Um, every Sunday when I was growing up, uh, after church, when my grandfather and my grandma was still alive, they would have a huge Sunday meal after service, and we would all come to the house, all my aunts and uncles and all my cousins, and we would gather, and my grandparents would sit at the head of the table, and they would not forget about anything. Anything that was going on in your life, they would pour into you, and then you would get all kinds of love. You would also get all kinds of correction, which came from the place of love. I remember one time my mom said, so what happened this week, my grandfather said, and my mom, well, Joey said a word he shouldn't have said in school, and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm my favorite grandson. What are you doing right now? And grandpa turned to me, and I'll never forget what he, what he said. It just it stuck with me, and it sticks with me as a Christian. He goes, hey, you don't just not say those words because you get in trouble. You have to remember who you are. Yes. Every day that we step into church, it is no different. We have a father that sits at the head of the table and offers us a great meal, and yes, we are with the Lord all throughout the week, and that's for us as individuals. But when we come into church, it's a family reunion, and we have a great Sunday meal together. And the Lord is going to pour into us as a family, and we have to be ready for that. But we have to be reminded the guide that we are receiving from the pulpit, from the scripture and out, is not just to tell us what to do, but to remember who we are. We are the children of God, born by his love, pulled into the family, adopted by grace. And the only reason we're here is because God is so good. All of us, we all have different starting points, different backgrounds, but that doesn't matter. We have one loving father and today is no different. We're gonna dive into this great spiritual meal together. So if you can, turn with me to Philippians 1. We're gonna start in verse one. We're gonna, like I said, cover 11 verses, but first we're gonna just open with the opener right now. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Notice how many times he puts Jesus at the front of this letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and deacons and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What I love about this is that when he opens it up, he puts us all in unison, even though he's writing this to the church of Philippi, right? He's writing to the Philippians. He's actually uniting us from the beginning because it doesn't matter what you think about Paul. It matters what you think about Christ. 
And that's what matters when we step into this space. It doesn't matter where we come from or what we actually, our starting point, our heritage or anything. We come into this space. What are we united by? The bonding of the unity of the Spirit as he pulls us and unites us to the Lord. We heard this in Ephesians. Um, I want to bring up this verse, Ephesians chapter 1, 5 through 6. It's on the screen. I want you to hear that bridge that was in the beginning of that book. He said, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through who? Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This is the bridge that we have. The reason why that we stand before each other and know that we have confidence that God is doing great things. First of all, do you understand that none of us are here because God chastised us or beat us up with punishment? Every single person is here because look at that part of the screen. It says, in accordance with his what? His pleasure and his will. It is the good pleasure of the father of this family to pull his sons and daughters close to him. For what reason? For his glorious grace. Grace being the the gift that we got that we didn't deserve, right? We didn't deserve the love of the Lord. We didn't deserve eternity. We don't deserve heaven. And yet, what is our good father doing? He's giving it out freely, but through who? Look at capital O, the one he loves. I, I love that that's the opener of Ephesians. That's the opener of Philippians. And I want to point out to you, when, when Paul was writing these books or writing these letters to the different churches in, uh, in Galatians, he was kind of challenging the people of Galatia in their, in their um, full, uh, theology, right? He was challenging what they knew about God. In Ephesians, he was challenging their ethics. In this particular book, as we move into Philippians, like I said, we're switching gears. He's challenging what they think about their church family and who they believe God really is. You see, the father sets the pace for the family, right? It's not, we're not talking about patriarchy. We're talking about the father in heaven, the most high God, the creator of heaven and earth. He sets the pace for all of us. And so that is how he appeals to people. Now, I tell you, that's the spiritual side. Here's the practical side. I don't know if you can see this. I know it's a little tiny. It's a replica from Israel, right? It's a little, it's, yeah, it's an awe. It's a little cutesy scroll. But this is what would happen. They put the name and information at the beginning of the scroll, the letter, so that when you unrolled it, you could get it. It would be like, a letter to the church of Calvary Chapel in Sebastian. Oh, who's it from? It's from Paul. I don't want to read that. I don't want to. Somebody else wants to read that because I know he's going to get into it with us. But that's exactly what it is. I don't know if you've ever been like me. Have you ever read an email that just went on and on forever? And then you finally got to the bottom and it said, sincerely, from the person you didn't want to read from. And you're like, oh, I just wasted 14 minutes of my time. Well, that is why it opens this way so people could know that this letter is going to be good. It's from Paul. Now, here's a little funny thought. I just want to put this out here to you. This is free. This is no charge to the sermon. But I want you to look at the first verse. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. What's really kind of interesting is the names and the way that they're laid out. Before we dive into anything that's deep in here, Paul means little, means small, means like a, like a kid. Timothy means to honor God. I just want to set the pace as us as children of God. It would put, it could have, uh, put a funny little translation would be like this. The little people who bring honor to their serv- as servants to our Father God. That's actually kind of a way to look at this open. And that's all who we are. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ that are guided by the Lord. We are on the move. God is alive and active. He's not stagnant. He's not sitting back. 
He's heavenly involved. I, I actually want to show you how that plays out for Paul and how it plays out for us. We're going to put a, a, a map up on the screen. You can see down here in the corner, right corner, you see Jerusalem. That's where everything began. And we head up to Antioch. And I know there's another Antioch, but we're kind of heading towards what we call modern-day Turkey. This is all the continent of Asia, right? And they would move through there. In this time, this is Paul's second missionary journey. In this time, Paul was in a place where he's like, he didn't know where to go next, so he just went, right? What's amazing about that is even when Paul didn't know what to do, he was on the move. Understand that the Lord will only work with the people. It doesn't have to, but it's easier to work with people that are on the move than people that are stagnant sitting still. Multiple times he tried to go north, he tried to go east, he tried to go all these different ways, and the Lord hemmed him in and boxed him in and said, no, I want you to go west. Uh, there's actually a great quote, the person that doesn't make any mistakes doesn't make anything at all. Understand that when you sit in your car, you ever had the car off and try to turn the steering wheel? When that car's not going where it's really hard to turn that steering wheel, but somebody who's reaching for what the Lord is doing, the Lord will redirect them. It's real easy to redirect something that's on the move. Just a a side note, but as you can see, as they moved through this place, God didn't let them go north. God didn't let them go east. He didn't let them go south. He brought them to a city, which you can see at the very edge of the continent is called Troas. And it's from there that they went across the Aegean Sea. This is Acts chapter 16, if you want to do some homework when you get home. And this is an interesting place to make a connection because it was actually known as the gateway to Europe. So as we're reading in Acts 16 and as we're reading in the book of Philippians, this is the first time that the gospel is now coming across the Aegean Sea and entering a whole different continent. And it's because the Lord had a mission for Paul. But what's fascinating is when they went there, as you can see uh, in the book of Acts, uh, Paul grabbed Silas, he grabbed Timothy, right? They got Dr. Luke, you know, from the book of Luke. They got, they got all these people and they're headed over there. And this is where they entered into the city of Philippi. Philippi, was strategic for one reason. Think about this. What's the one thing you need to send people on mission trips? Well, who said it? Money. Money. This was a rich town. It was a city known for having gold all through mines all around the town. And, and, the, and the city was actually founded by a King Philip. And, and that's a particular city. He actually became this like gateway of merchandise and everything. Because why? Because it was a rich town. Interesting that God would start his European mission by landing him next to people like Lydia. Lydia was a lady who lived in this town and she was a, a woman that was well-to-do. She sold purple garments. And I could say that to you and you could be like, oh, that sounds cool, purple. That's no big deal. I can go to Walmart and get purple shirt right now. But purple at the time of, of Lydia and Paul, that was like the, the like Gucci or the Louis Vuitton, right? So it was like a big deal. Like if you want to be nice, you get purple. And so Lydia was well-to-do. She was a rich person that was well-to-do. She had converted to Judaism. But she couldn't find 10 other Jewish men to build a synagogue. So she and a couple people went down to a river and they led services. And that's where Paul encountered her and led her to the Lord by expressing the gospel. And then her whole household came to know the Lord. At the same time, you know, might remember this story. There was a time when they walked into the city of Philippi. There was a little demon-possessed slave girl. And she was clairvoyant. She had like psychic abilities. And people would come and pay money to her uh, handlers. And then she would tell them psychic things that only these demons would know. And she turned and she saw Paul and Silas walking into the city and she heralded him like, here is the messenger of God and he's gonna bring the gospel. And Paul was annoyed. He was like, I don't wanna share billing with a demon-possessed slave girl. And he got so annoyed and frustrated, he cast the demon out. 
Now, you can remember from this story that the people that were over her, the guys that owned her as a slave, were very upset because they just lost their livelihood. So they took Paul and Silas to the local magistrate and have them thrown in jail. And this is where we get that famous part of the Bible where they're beaten, their, their, their clothes are torn, they're put in the bottom of the jail. And what do they do? If, if it was me, I'd be very upset with the Lord. I'd say, Lord, you, you said it was gonna be sunshine and roses. I'm not giving you any more of my time or my money. No, that's not what Paul or Silas said. What did they do? They worshiped the Lord all night. They were like, whoa, if we're gonna get beat this bad, God's gonna do something equally more impressive. And he did. He brought an earthquake that shook the foundation of that jail and that jail fell apart. And as that jail fell apart, the jailer that was there, who was a former uh, Roman centurion who's now retired and taken this job, he was gonna commit suicide because what happens to a jailer that loses all of its prison you know, uh, inmates? He goes, I've lost everybody, I'm gonna kill. And Paul and Silas said, you know what? Don't do that. We're here. We wanna minister to you. And they led Paul and Silas to the Lord. I bring this up just to kind of put a, like a interesting point of view. The Lord started this church. He planted the church of Philippi with these three people. Look at this. It's a rich woman at the top of the social ladder, right? Can't get any more top than just a rich merchant. And then at the bottom of the social ladder, you can't get any more at the bottom than a demon-possessed slave. Now she's set free, right? And then what does God put right in the middle? A blue-collar worker, a guy, a former Roman centurion, a Philippine a uh, Philippian jailer who is now in the middle, and so he's got this nice little spectrum. Do you know God loves buffets? I'm gonna tell you this. The first two servers struggled with this, but I'm gonna challenge you. Don't struggle with this. Look around. Look at the smorgasbord in this room. Don't be afraid. Look around. It's not judging. We're just looking around. Isn't it amazing the love of God on display in here? People from all walks of life, all different heritages, all different backgrounds, and what do we see uniting all of us? the love of the Lord. You know, as we grow um, as Christians, as we grow as brothers and sisters, the reason why we grow up and we grow closer spiritually is because our hearts start locking into the rhythm of God's heart. And as we feel God's heart for us, we start to see God's heart for each other. And you know what? We want to be a part of that. And you know, that's the amazing thing that is uh, in this room right now. We don't have statues like some different religions and some different even churches have saints and statues right that. We don't have any of that. What we have in this room is living monuments to the goodness of God. And you know what's crazy? God's not done yet. And that is what's so amazing. So how could God unite such an interesting group of people? I want to go back to verse 1. Look at verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy. Remember who Paul is. That's an interesting character too, right? Formerly Saul, murdering Christians. And now he's the leader of church planning in the, in the Mediterranean. Look how he identifies. First word is servant. You know, before anything, we are servants. The, the Greek word here is like doulos or bondservant. So first, like I said before, we are, before anything, we're bonded to God, right? Before anything, before Miami Dolphins fan or Patriot fans. I know that's going to be really weird this year. There's some of you in this room, but first before we start yelling at each other when the regular season starts next week, we're first bonded to God. Amen, right? We're first bonded to God. Look at the screen. First Corinthians says it this way. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Now look at the therefore. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You know, this is how we can say that we are servants of the Most High 
is that we are in the service of God because God serves us. Remember, it was Jesus that said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. Just think about this. Where would we be if it wasn't for the service of Jesus Christ? Where would your life be? Not just in this church, just but what kind of a life, what quality of life, what kind of a person would you be without Jesus Christ coming down from heaven to wash you daily? Not just one time for salvation, daily. I am serving the Lord and I am bonded to the service of the Lord because of his love and his service to me. And that is what leads us to our next word. So we are servants, we are bonded to the Lord, we're bond servants. Look at the next word. It says in the scripture right there, to all of God's holy people, some of your translations might say saints. That's a word that comes up a lot in, in the Bible. But understand this, that word is closely related to this, sacred people. Did you know that you're a sacred servant of the Most High God? That's not, that's not Joey's job because Jesus signs his paychecks and he has to come up here and teach every week. He can't miss. No, we are all a royal priesthood, a holy nation before the Lord. We are all the princes and princesses of the Most High God. We are the sacred, holy servants of God. Look at Romans 5.1. On the screen it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We focused on the last word, honor. We're going to focus on the word peace. You know how important that word peace is? Without the peace of the Lord, we are under the wrath of the Lord. How do we know that we're under the wrath? We were enemies of God through our sin. And Jesus had a heart for his enemies, amen? Because if we didn't have a heart for his enemies, where would we be? We would still be enemies. But what did he do? He went to war with us with his love. That is why we're here, because the grace of God is so good that we understand that through our sins, we were enemies of God, that the wrath of God was still applied to us until Jesus Christ went up to the cross. Now you know what happened. The wrath of God still went towards your sin. It just became Jesus Christ on the cross. And therefore, we now enter into peace. So justice for your sins still took place on the cross. But what did you receive? His mercy by his grace. And so that is what we are. We are a people of peace and honor. And that's why we love the Lord because we were, like I said from the beginning, none of us were won over by chastisement. None of us were won over by punishment. We were won over by the love of the Lord. I know that I'm a sinner and I know Jesus Christ paid that price. And therefore, how do I know the Lord? I know the Lord through Jesus Christ and his love and his love is deep. No matter how deep I think my sin is, his love is deeper. That's where you see the next two words. Now you look in the next two words as we grow in that knowledge, right? We know that we're servants. We know that we're saints. Together we are with the overseers and the deacons. And so that overseer word is kind of closer to a word like bishop or elder. And we do have bishops or elders in the church. I just want to put this in, in perspective. It's a closer to a word that's like shepherd. Why do we need shepherds in the church? Who's going to protect you from me? I'm a pastor in this church and I'm a teacher. It's closer to that word deacon that is inside of there. But who protects you from me? The shepherds of this church, the elders, they make sure that the pastors of this church are growing adequately in the Lord and teaching adequately. Praise the Lord that we follow scripture and we have biblical men in place that protect 
the sheep. Amen? And so they're following that. But those are all people that started in church just like you. They weren't like coming out of college or they weren't coming out of the womb like elders, like here I am. What church should I oversee? No, they were people who entered into the family of God by the adoption of Jesus Christ. They grew into this position. And I guess you know what? They grew by the love of the Lord and their knowledge of the Lord. Which brings us to the next word. Look at that word, deacon. It's closer to the word waiter. It's like someone who serves and waits on you, right? Someone who attends to you. Really, that word that they're kind of aiming at is for Christian teachers and pastors. And I want to show you how this works inside of a family context. There's a man named Craig Zeman. You know him as the pastor of this campus. But what you don't know is one day, he was a man who gave his heart to the Lord. And then he joined our church, right? And then he went to church and he took notes and he was in the Bible. And then he heard the call of the Lord. I'm, I'm supposed to be serving God's people. So he joined the couple's ministry. And then he joined the men's ministry and the people around him grew, right? Because as he's growing in knowledge, they're growing in knowledge, all the people that are running around him. And then eventually one day he became an associate pastor. And then finally he became a campus pastor. Now what's amazing about that is I am a product of the goodness that is happening inside of Pastor Craig and Pastor Ryan. As they pursue the Lord, I pursue them. And guess what? I'm following along with them. And so that's what we see. In my family, I always had great uncles and great cousins that were older than me. And what do they do? They instructed me on the way to go. I was just a young chap, right? But somebody had to show me the rope. Somebody had to bring me along. And you know what's amazing about my uncles? They shared the heart of my grandfather. My grandfather was a man of the Lord. And so all my uncles pointed me to the Lord. All my cousins pointed me to the Lord. You know what we do in this room? I am a teacher and I am growing. And as I'm growing, I hope that you're growing because I have confidence not in me, I have confidence in Jesus Christ. Now here's a great litmus test of where you are in the family and how you're doing with what God's command is for you. Are the people in your life growing in their knowledge and their love of the Lord as you're growing? If there's something hindering that process, that is where you are in the family. If there's something that's preventing you from growing, it's probably because you don't really know God like you need to know God, the father of this family. If you don't love the things of the Lord like God loves you, it's because you might not have experienced the love of the Lord. And so I just want to challenge you that when you were joined into this family, you were brought into this place, you were automatically a partner to teach the peace of the Lord. Look at this slide on the screen. Therefore, all the other verses had this. We put this there. Therefore, we are in the family business of teaching honorable peace with God. So we are those people. We are the people that as we grow, we show the ropes to the people. And I don't mean physically younger than us. I mean spiritually younger than us. We show people, yes, you're going to move from spiritual milk to spiritual meat. You're going to grow deeper in your love of the Lord. The more that you find about God, look at Psalms where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You're going to want more of the Lord. This is what the wonderful knowledge of the gospel is. We are the people of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. What is the good news? Well, I was a, a sinner, dead in my sins. The wages of sin is, and somebody had to pay that death. You know, I was found guilty of being a sinner. And guess what? Jesus found me guilty by the, the standard of the Bible. I was not good. And the Lord said, yes, you are guilty, and the punishment is death. But who paid that to penalty? Jesus Christ. 
And so everything that we are doing today is in preparation of living eternity with God because we are every day being redeemed and sanctified and prepared for the Lord. And do you realize that that's what we're doing here? I know this room is shaped this way. There's like, like an auditorium. There's seats, there's facing me, and I'm teaching. But we don't come in here to check a box. I am here to help equip you to go to preach the word of the Lord in places that I will never go. There are people in your lives, there are spheres of influences, there are realms that you are entering into that I know. In fact, in a way, my job is even easier because I get to preach to a bunch of Christians, but you have to go where the gospel might be breaking through for the first time. But you can never give unless you have it. You can never give grace unless you have grace. You can never give God's forgiveness until you've absorbed God's forgiveness. And that is what we're doing every day. We have to remember who we are. The wonderful news is that we are the loving children of God. Everybody's a broken sinner. The only difference is God put us back together. That's what we experience in this room. Now, watch what this brings out of Paul in verse three. I know, first two verses, right? Thanksgiving and prayer. It says in verse three, I thank my God every time I remember you. And all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your, what's that word? Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's where it brings up to our next point. This is our family business. We are not just receivers of the gospel. We are givers. Do you realize that that is our business? That's what we're in? There, some people go, well, that's your job, Pastor Joey. No, 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 no. We are light everywhere there is darkness. Do you know that darkness doesn't encroach in on light? Light pierces the darkness. It's, it, it gives way. It can't do anything. Light, darkness has no power over light. And that is what you are in your neighborhood. That is what you are at your school or your, or, or your work or wherever you go, your, your family gatherings. That is who you are. You are in the business of salvation and redemption. But more importantly, you're in the business of showing what it's like to be unified with God in his heart. We are in the business of showing how good God's heart is. And, and, and that word is probably closely related to a word called fellowship. There's some, some words that are really good in your mouth. Like, I don't know if about you, but I like saying scuba. It's just a fun word, scuba. It just sounds really good in, the, in your mouth. But you may have heard this word before. The word closer to fellowship in this one is the Greek word koinonia. Has anyone ever heard that word before? Koinonia. That's just fun to say, right? It's defined this way. Close association involving mutual interest and sharing association, and I want to give you this final word after fellowship, communion. This thing about communion, you know what communion is? Communion is like this. Oh, one of a person in my family won the lottery. Yay, we are in communion. This is great. Oh, I can't wait to see all the things we're going to do together. But communion also goes the other way. Someone got a phone call in our family, bad report from the doctor. We are in communion. We're all going there. We're all experiencing it. We're all hurting and that is what God has called us to do. It's a partnership that flows in both directions between not us and God, but also us, God, and us as a family. And that's what our process and our policy and our conduct must be, is true Christian fellowship. Look at the screen. This is our point. True Christian fellowship means being united and sharing together in all God has for us. Sharing. You know, this is the place that the Church of Philippi is 
The church of Philippi is thriving. They're growing, right? Remember I said it's a well-to-do city, so there are people of means. They're actually blessing everybody back in Jerusalem. And now that Paul is chained to a Roman centurion, he has been sent to Rome for a trial. You know what's happening at this time? You had the option of taking a, a prisoner and throwing him into a deep, dark dungeon. In that case, the Roman soldier would unhook his handcuffs and be like, you stay in there, that's gross, I'll stay on the outside. But you can also rent a house and you could put up the Roman centurion and Paul. Much nicer to have an Airbnb than being in a dungeon, right? And so the church of Philippi is actually paying for this. And you want to know why? They weren't just interested in its comfort. They weren't just interested in flashing money and spending it. They were united in Paul in this thought. Paul one day is going to go before Caesar. Can you imagine if the gospel, the good news that we've experienced, invades Caesar's heart? What if it takes over the Roman Empire? What if it's that powerful? We have a confidence that the same Jesus Christ that reached us could reach Rome. And so therefore, what did they do? They bonded themselves in service to Paul and they sent him servants and they sent him money and they said this, we don't just believe in Paul, we believe in the Jesus Christ inside of Paul. But that means we are joined to him in work, we're joined to him in burden. And we celebrate the wins with Paul together. You know why? Because we are, we are joined by spirit. You know, sometimes it can seem weird. I have conversations with people, and even in my own life, um, we can seem closer to our spiritual family than we are our blood family. And there's a reason why. And it's not to say that we shouldn't be there for blood family. God put them in our life for a very reason, and I'm not asking you to choose or anything. But there's something about walking through burdens and work of the Spirit, bonded to somebody by the power of the Spirit, and then having that shared experience, you go, we're family. You know how I know that's so true and real in this church, and I want to commend you. This is a very uh, awesome church in this way. I'll hear of something going on in somebody's life, right? Whether somebody calls me or I see it on Facebook, and I go, oh my goodness, we should rally the troops and we should all get together and find out what we can do for this brother or sister that is hurting. And before I can do anything, I get a phone call from one of you guys. And they're like, hey, there's a meal train. And I'm like, what? I just found out five seconds ago. How, and you're signed up for Thursday. You're doing lasagna. Be there. And I'm like, what? But that is the heart of our church. We don't hesitate. We don't pray about it alone. We step out in action, right? Because the love of the Lord has come to us. We love each other with the love of the Lord. And that is what we're doing. We are always there as partners in the gospel. What is the gospel and the good news? We are all bound by the love of the Lord. And when one of us hurts, we all hurt and we are there. And that's what it means for true Christian fellowship or koinonia. We're united and sharing together in all God has for us. Sometimes our blood family isn't united, but our spiritual family is always united. I want you to see what that looks like as the gospel that you receive now flows outward. Remember I said we're not just receivers, we're givers. Look at the screen what the gospel flowing outward looks like. These are just some of the basics we've already covered we pray for each other. You know, before Pastor Ryan and Pastor Craig um, abandoned me, no, I'm just kidding. Um, they left town. Um, I lost my voice. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? The two guys that I would call are gone. Who am I? I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was like, Lord, what's going to happen? And somebody called me on Friday, the Saturday before I had to teach, and I had this really squeaky, bad Muppet voice. And I'm like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And they said, you know, the Lord woke me up at like four o'clock this morning. And I was like, oh, why? And they're like, I was in a perfectly good sleep. But they told me to pray for you for this weekend, for this teaching. And I was like, oh, well, that's good. They hear me squeaking. And like, now I know why. Because you have no voice. They said, Saturday, you'll be ready to go. I don't have to find anybody. Saturday, I woke up. 
The kids jumped in the bed, and I said, good morning, boys. And they said, Dad, your voice is back. Isn't it amazing that God would partner with somebody to their dismay? They were asleep at 4 o'clock. But God would bother someone to say, hey, one of your brothers is hurting. Let's pray. Let's do some spiritual battle together. That is what the gospel, the good news flowing out where it looks like service to each other. We've covered that. Like we said, we're there for each other. We rally around each other. But I just want to let you know, like I said, this church is 80% run by volunteers. Is the Lord putting on your heart some place to serve, some place to get connected, some place to take care of somebody else? What I love is there are people that are back in the youth ministry and back in the kids ministry that are petrified of little ones but they stepped out in faith because they know that all they have to do is suit up and show up and present the gospel that God has given them to those little ones. And guess what? Those little ones are growing. We're family. We're coming alongside each other. And look at the next part. It says grace uniting us together. You know that there's churches right now in Palm Bay that are voting to separate? Churches here in town in Sebastian that are voting to separate because they can't agree on the grace of God. Isn't it a shame that the people of the grace of God can't agree on the grace of God? Isn't it amazing that we would not be a people that would stand before the Lord and be, because you have so forgiven me, I should forgive others. If you could wipe out the debt of my life, let me walk into this place. You know what holds this church together? Grace. Grace holds this church together by what we received that we did not deserve. And then that what brings us to the next part, peace. And remember, we covered peace. Peace built around each other. If you are in this church and you feel lonely, that's a lie from Satan. This is a church that has been built by the love of the Father and has united us and has adopted you into the sonship. You know what's amazing to me? Every time I get up here and somebody gives their heart to the Lord and we talk afterwards, they always have this overwhelmed look, but it's full of joy. And they're like, I just came here because I was without hope and, and I just wanted to find out what the Lord had for me. Next thing I know, I've got 60 people wanting to give me a hug and a kiss on the cheek, people I've never met before. And I'm like, yeah, that's the grace and the peace that the Lord is putting around you, that you are not alone, that there are brokenhearted people who were put back together by Jesus Christ, and now they're here to walk with you and fight those fights with you and walk through those burdens with you and carry them alongside of you the same way that the Lord does. So I just want to let you know, if you are in here trying to treat the symptoms of sickness, of sin and loneliness and fear and doubt, you do not treat it by yourself. You treat it with this, the love of the Lord. And if you look in this room, the love of the Lord is invading and rampant in the hearts of his people. Please come knowing this, you are part of a great family. And it starts with Jesus Christ. Now, I just want you to understand this. This is why Paul and also the church of Philippi could have such confidence in the people. He's having a confidence in the Lord. Look at verse six. Being a confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion unto the day of Christ Jesus. You know what's amazing is that when we look through the lens of this verse, you understand that when somebody walks in here, and they might not sound like you. They might not look like you. They might even smell like you. But understand that you know that God has got a hold of them. And it's not a confidence or a non-confidence in that person. Like, this person ain't ever going to turn it around. It's a confidence of the Christ inside of them. Isn't it amazing how God has passionately pursued you in all your sin and poked you annoyingly with his loving finger saying, do the right thing, and never gave up on you? That is because God is going to complete 
the work that he began. Everything should be in this lens. We're not looking for perfect people. We're looking for people who are under the progress of God. We take all responsibility off us and take responsibility off that person. Now, they need to be held accountable for whatever decisions that they make, but the completion of that work falls in whose hands? I can't do it. You can't do it. God can absolutely do it. So that means when somebody comes in here is messy and annoying and frustrating, it means we don't give up on them. We love them with the love of the Lord, with the confidence that God will complete that work. Do you doubt that God can do anything? With God, all things are possible. And that produces in us a faithfulness and obedience to the work, no matter what the work is. Look at the next part. I want to remind you who's writing this scripture. Remember I said murderous Saul got converted to, to uh, the New Testament Paul? Look at verse 7. Look at his heart. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me and can testify how I long for all of you. Look at this next part, with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's amazing to me that one time this guy was murdering Christians, and now he can't stop praying for Christians. And you know what converted Paul? The love of the Lord. That is the business that we're in for, the honorable peace of the Lord, the, the giving of the gospel. Paul is living out the heartbeat of his father because his heartbeat of his father has become his very own heartbeat. Look at verse 9. And this is my prayer, that, you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is, what is that word? Best. Best, not just good, not just gooder, best. And may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know what he's saying in this scripture? He's saying our family business is this. When the Lord gets a hold of you, he's going to shape you into joy. You're going to become joy that overflows with thanksgiving. We're going to put that up on the screen, yeah. The Lord shapes us into the joy that overflows with thanksgiving. So how do we become this joy? Look at it again. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth and of insight. Did you know that you are being prepared for the presence of God? And you have to be excited for that. And you can't be excited for that without knowing that all of your sins have been wiped out. Because there's plenty of times I walk into the high school and talk to atheists and I go, what would happen if you meet God today? You know what they say? I would die. Atheists, why do you say that? Because the Lord, if the Lord is real and he is true, I would be obliterated because I have not lived for him. I have actually lived against him. But the idea of going to heaven is not frightening for us because we do come in with humility, right? But we come with a boldness. Why? Because the only reason we're here is because we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. My invitation came by Jesus, not of my own. Not of my own. You know, I have this particular moment when I pick up my kids from school. It's so much better than drop-off. Drop-off is like this. We used to have our kids in homeschool. Now they're in school, and I, it's new for me as it is new for them. I bring them over to the teacher, and I'm like, all right, buddy, I love you. Give daddy kisses and everything. I'm like, yeah, whatever, dad. I love you. I'll talk to you later. And I'm like, I'm not crying in front of the other dads. It's okay. Yeah, I'll see you later, buddy. And I just roll back to the car and weep, right, you know? But when I pick them up in the afternoon, there is such a difference. I see them, and I see them looking down the line. I see their little faces, and then they go, you know, Joey or Charlie, you can go. And they come running, and they jump in my arms. Dad, Dad, I could not wait to be with you. 
let's go do daddy and, and, and son stuff. And I love when they say, like, mom's not here. Let's go do daddy and son stuff. Let's go. And I'm like, yeah, let's do guy stuff. It's really great. But you know, that's what the Lord is preparing us for. The Lord is preparing us for that moment that we walk into heaven in full communion with Jesus Christ and full expectation. You know, there's only going to be one person in heaven that can fully expect you to be there. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So you have to ask yourself, as you are being a person that's prepared by to be the worker of the fruitfulness of righteousness, do you know the difference between good and evil? That could be easy. But do you know what's best for the Lord? Do you know what excites the Lord? Are you excited for the things that excites God? Are you shaped by the joy that overflows with thanksgiving because you're in the hands of the Lord? One day this world will end. There will be no more sin. All of our ridiculousness will go away and there will be Jesus Christ. What do you want to have him catch you doing? What's whatever or what's best? Do you want to be in excitement as you run and jump in his arms? And the only place that you can do that, the only way that you can know that you are producing the fruit that remains and the, and the fruit that remains for eternity is if you are in love with God like he's in love with you. Look at John 15 on the screen. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. You know what he's talking about? This is what Jesus was saying when he was giving us the scriptures. The same thing Paul's saying. We are in the family of fruitfulness. And one day God is going to come back and collect his workers. And you have to ask yourself when you look at this verse, am I a Christ follower? Am I in love with the Lord? Am I a, part, a person that partakes in the family of God? And the only way that we can do that is if we bury ourselves in the family by burying ourselves in Christ. We are tapped into the full flow of the love of the Lord, and everything is available to us. Name one thing that Jesus Christ has held back from you from heavenly places. You ask for it, you receive it. If you want more faith, you got faith. If you want hope, you got hope. If you need forgiveness, how quick is God to forgive? You have everything you need. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a moment, we're gonna pray before we take communion. And before we take communion, I just wanna let you know you are destined by God through the cross to become a children of God's love. First John would say, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You were meant to be a child of God, but you have to remember who you are. See, Christianity isn't what we do, it's who we are. But to understand who you are, you have to understand the heart of your Father, but you have to get to know Him. So we're gonna pray with a moment of reflection. If you need to get right before the Lord, let's pray that right now bow our heads, close our eyes. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in this time. And I haven't always lived for you, but I know you've lived for me. You've lived, died, and were resurrected for me. So Lord, I confess before you now my sins. I confess my fear and doubt. I confess my separation from you. I know that you love me. And Lord, I just pray this right now. If I know if you're faithful to forgive, then I am forgiven. I know that I need to move closer to you. As James said, draw close to the Lord and he will draw close to you. 
He's already here. He's already ministering. He's already speaking the words to the people in this room that were hungry and thirsty for living bread. And so, Lord, we just pray this right now, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And as we get closer to you, we fall deeper in love with you. And the glove that is inside of me needs to abound and it needs to overflow into thanksgiving and prayer. My heartbeat hasn't always been your heartbeat. But this is what marks us as a family of God. We are the people that are loved and cherished by God. So it doesn't matter my performance. It matters what you say. And you said that you died for me. That my sins are wiped out. And that you'll be faithful to sanctify me, to cleanse me every day. I put myself, I put my life in your hands, Father God. I love you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.